0: Take heart in the peace of Jesus' cross, children of God. Amen. This wasn't my uh, most restful week ever. A couple of you already know that uh, I was out of town for a conference Tuesday, Wednesday, flew back. I also had family visiting. You met maybe my uh, my mom, my brother. They were here in church last week. We went to Manhattan on Monday. Now, that's always a trip. Right? You all have done that, you know. Then I got back from conference Thursday, Friday, Saturday, catching up on the things that, you know, just normally happen during the week. The different classes, the different visits, the different calls. Of course, I'm not the one who worked hardest. Um, Ruth, as always, as usual, worked harder than I did this, right? While While I was out of town, she was tour guide to our visitors. While I was out of town, she was with the kids solo a lot. It was not a particularly restful week for you either. I know it wasn't a very restful week for many of you. Either right? I know not all of you are coming in feeling really well rested. Now, now that a lot of you work a lot harder than I do, I've been your pastor for about three months now, and I'm getting to know you, and you're getting to know me, and you've been sharing with me all the things that leave you feeling unrested, right? The things that drain your energy, the things that require your attention, the things that keep you running in ten different directions every day, keep you spinning a dozen different plates. Where do we find rest? Where do we find something that recharges us, that gives us strength to go out into each new day, right? Rest is vital. We need rest. Rest is so critical to us as humans that the use of sleep deprivation as an interrogation technique is considered torture, right? We need rest. can't survive without it. I hope thinking about that puts us in the right frame of mind as we come to this text, Hebrews 4, 9-16 this morning. And When we hear rest in this text, we're talking about something vital. We're talking about something that we need. We need what this text is talking to us about. We need to hear from this text. God, through his word, what's going on here? There's a beautiful promise for us in this text. There's rest. God makes available for every person. God's God the rest. Now, we don't know who it was who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Whoever it was, you can tell just by reading through the letter that this was a very Jewish Christian. But, of course, when you go back into the early history of the Christian church, there were a lot of people who meet that description, right? The Christian church began as Jewish people who saw the Messiah coming and saw in that the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They were all Jewish Christians in the beginning. So we really can't pin down too easily who it was who wrote this letter. He didn't sign it the jewish christian writer of this letter as we go through another thing we're going to notice about it is he's writing to jewish christians preaching to them in fact if you think about sort of the structure of the letter to the hebrews and how it's rhetorically arranged you realize that it's really a long sermon and like i'm preaching on a text for my sermon this morning the writer to the hebrews is also preaching on a text but his text is quite a bit larger the the writer to the hebrews really preaches on the entire Old Testament. You get into the book of Hebrews, if you ever read it, just sit down and read through the one whole thing at one point. It's thirteen chapters, so it's it's a commitment, but if you go, you realize that you're being walked through the whole Old Testament in this very Jesus focused way. The writer to the Hebrews takes you through all of the Old Testament scriptures and shows you Jesus in them. This section that we're looking at today, again, Hebrews four, nine to sixteen, starts off talking about Sabbath. And in the Old Testament, that was a day of rest, which God commanded for his people. Don't work, God told them on the Sabbath. Spend time with your families. Spend time in God's word. Don't even work on the Sabbath during the harvest season, the planting season, right? These times when that agrarian farming society needed to work. So they thought God told them, rest on the Sabbath. Every week, every seven days. Stop everything that you're doing. Stop all the things that you think you need to be doing. Just rest. Now, as you can imagine, of course, something, some command like that that was so present in their lives, week in, week out, it had a profound effect on the collective Jewish cultural mindset. They they looked at it like the Sabbath had to happen, and God told them that it did, that they had to rest. They wanted some help in making sure that they were following this command. So over the centuries, you had all these Jewish teachers, rabbis, coming up with various regulations defining rest for them, governing rest. One of those regulations was something like this. If you walked a certain distance on the Sabbath, you could call that leisure, right? You were just going for a stroll. You were resting. You went further than that specified distance, though. uh, That was now work, and you were not allowed to do that. You can actually see that this sort of still carries on into our own day. Um, If you drive up into Huntington, just north of 25a, there's a road there called uh, Sabbath Day Path. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But the length of that road, it's named that because you can walk the length of that road. You can take your Sabbath walk on that road without breaking the rabbinic prohibition. It's not too far. All of these rules were originally created with a good intention. Again, the rabbis wanted to help people say, look, here's this command from God. He wants you to do this. Let's define that for you. Let's help you submit to that command. But we see throughout the Gospels, right, those Bible books that tell us the story of Jesus' life, what the, com- what the effect of all these commands was. People were accused of breaking God's law about the Sabbath for breaking these human regulations, these human definitions. Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees would get upset with him. Jesus is the one who gave the Sabbath, right? He's God. He's the one who gave the Sabbath to Moses on Mount Sinai, and they would tell him that he was breaking the Sabbath. You'd have Jesus and his disciples walking on the Sabbath. They would pick off some heads of grain in the fields, and the Pharisees would say, You're harvesting! You're not supposed to harvest on the Sabbath. Not really, not not unless you really very, very legalistically define what harvesting is. They're having a snack. Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the Pharisees ran directly counter to one another in this vital, for the Jews, area. What is rest? What is the Sabbath supposed to be? These Jewish Christians to whom the, re- to whom the letter of the Hebrews was written, uh, they wanted an answer to that question. They wanted to know what the rest was. Because you see, the Jewish Christians to whom Hebrews was written were being pressured to conform once again to all of those Old Testament ceremonial laws. Not just these things about the Sabbath, but about what they could eat and what they should wear and all these other ceremonial things which had come to an end with the resurrection of Jesus. Paul, the apostle, explains that very clearly in his letter to the Colossian Christians, chapter 2. He says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. That was part of those ceremonial laws. Or with regard to a religious festival or a Sabbath day, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. These are a shadow of the things to come, the reality found in Christ, Paul says, all of these regulations, all of these ceremonial laws served only like a shadow to let them know that something greater was coming. A shadow, like you might see if a friend's coming around a corner with the light behind them. And when the friend comes around the corner, you don't care about their shadow anymore. You want to talk to your friend. You want to see your friend. Paul is saying the same thing there. Quit looking at these things that were just shadows of what was coming. Look at Jesus now. Look at Jesus who has come. That was hard for Jewish Christians in the first century to wrap their heads around. Because again, the Sabbath left such a a cultural imprint, a societal imprint on them. They still lived among other Jews. And for their whole lives, they had practiced the Sabbath. They had not worked on the Sabbath. The society in which they lived, the culture in which they lived, still operated with that time frame, that, that schedule around the Sabbath. Were they still supposed to feel guilty about working on the Sabbath? Were they still supposed to feel like they were breaking the law or breaking these man-made regulations or for even breaking this ceremonial law which God had said had come to an end? The Sabbath was not something that existed for its own sake, and the writer to the Hebrews reminds those people of, them, of this. The Sabbath was something that existed for two purposes. One, it was going to show the people that they needed to trust God. This, the Sabbath was meant to foster their faith in God. To show them, look, it's not about your effort. It's not about you constantly working and striving and providing for yourself. Take a break. Back off. Trust that God will provide for you. It was one thing which the Sabbath did for the people. And then it pictured two things. The first thing that the Sabbath pictured was heaven. And we see that throughout this section of Hebrews 4 here. The Sabbath was a picture for the people of heaven. The Sabbath was an opportunity for God's people to rest in community, in fellowship with one another. And we can't say exactly what heaven is going to be like, right? God never in any way in the Bible spells out, this is exactly what heaven is going to be like. This is exactly the experience of your eternity in heaven. But he does give us some features of things that we will experience there in heaven. And one of the things that the Bible tells us is a part of heaven is rest in community is eternity spent in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ in God's presence. That was what the Sabbath pictured for the people that eternal rest, that perfect rest in heaven that we will all enjoy. But it wasn't the only thing that God was picturing for the people with the Sabbath. Hebrews 4.3, which comes a few verses before our reading, says this. We who have believed enter God's rest. That's talking about the present. But not just heaven, not just the future, that eternity for which we're waiting. But right now, the writer of Hebrews says, there's something that's being pictured by the Sabbath that we currently enjoy. Believers enjoy God's Sabbath rest now here in this world. What is that? Rest. We find that answer as we keep reading here in our section of Hebrews 4. The writer spends some time talking about the Sabbath, and then I don't know if you thought it was sort of a detour, but it does seem like it. He suddenly moves into this different direction, seems to be very invested in this metaphor for the word of God as being a sharp sword. And this does seem somewhat to come out of left field, right? We were talking about the Sabbath. We were talking about rest. Why are we suddenly talking about swords? But the connection to God's word there would have made sense to those Jewish Christians because they were used to thinking about the Sabbath as a time when they heard God's word. When they were Jewish, when they were living under those ceremonial laws, part of their Sabbath rest was going to synagogue and hearing from God's word. This connection between the Sabbath and then God's word was as natural to them as a connection we might make between Sunday and hearing God's word. inextricably for those Jewish Christians, the Sabbath was linked with God's word. And then the connection to the last part of our text should also make sense to us. Again, it might've seemed at first as we were reading through that as if Hebrews 4, 9 to 16 is sort of made up of three very unrelated subsections, right? First, you've got him talking about the Sabbath. Then suddenly he's talking about God's word being the sword. But we see the connection there. The Sabbath is a day when you would hear God's word. The connection to the last section, which talks about Jesus is the central message of God's Word is Jesus. right? We go into verses 14 to 16, and that's who we see, the central message of God's Word, Jesus, who He is, what He does. He's pictured here serving as a priest as the one who offers a sacrifice before God. Jesus offered a perfect sacrifice himself, right His own perfect life. He laid his life down, He rested in perfect faith, trusting that God would vindicate him. You ever think about that? The last ceremonial law, which Jesus, as a Jewish man, obeyed before rising on Easter, in a sense, you could say, was the Sabbath law. On the Saturday before Easter, Jesus did nothing. Rested in his tomb. Did absolutely no work. Because it was finished. And then he rose. God vindicated him. And because God did so, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, we can be confident when we stand before God. We can be certain that he will not reject us, condemn us, destroy us, because Jesus, our great high priest, did everything that needed to be done for us to be declared innocent, forgiven by God. And that's this other rest that the writer to the Hebrews is picturing here. The other rest that the Sabbath pictured for God's people. Forgiveness. God's grace. That's the connection in this text, right? We work our way through those three sections. We need rest. That's part one of this text. Rest is found in connection with God's word. That's part two. That rest is found in Jesus, in the gospel message, in what he did for us. That's rest that can sustain us for all these unrestful days that we have, right? How could we go out into the world and try and live life, try and, be pulled in all the different directions in which we're pulled, hear all the voices of the world telling us all the ways that we fail to measure up, that we don't succeed, that we fail. We haven't first rested in the peace and security of Jesus' cross. We haven't first stopped to find in God's word forgiveness, pardon, grace, that's going to cover over all of those sins, those failures, those errors, those transgressions and rebellions. that's exactly what we sinful humans try and do, isn't it? We try and run our spiritual marathon. That's another metaphor that the writer to the Hebrews uses for our lives, a marathon. We try and run this marathon without rest, totally sleep-deprived. We try and go back out into the world, do our jobs, live our lives, live in our families, serve as citizens, do all these things that We have to do day in and day out, be pulled in all these different directions without resting. And even when we, sinner saints, do gather to find rest in God's word, we're so tempted to look for something other than the rest there. We're so tempted to gather around God's word and think, I'm doing a really good thing by gathering here, right? By focusing on myself and what I'm doing rather than what God is doing for us, for me here. We're tempted as we gather around God's word, think that here I'm going to find something other than that, that rest, that peace, that forgiveness, right? That there's some other blessing, some, some greater in our eyes blessing that God is going to give us in this life for us doing such a good thing, for coming to church, for attending, for hearing him. Or we come to worship not thinking that we really need rest. We feel pretty rested in who we are ourselves. We come to worship thinking that we'll hear maybe a message about how good we are and how bad all the other wicked people are. The writer of the Hebrews has a warning for us about failure to look for God's rest. We gather around his word. That's verse 11 of our text. Let's make every effort to enter that rest. He's saying, not think that we don't need it as the Israelites did. We need rest, forgiveness, grace. Too often we forget that. How should God remind us of that? Should he lay out a bunch of ceremonial laws like the rabbis did to make sure that we're thinking about rest and forgiveness and grace? Should God say, all right, so here's what you're going to do before you come to church. Forty times out loud before walking through the door, you're going to say the word forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness over to yourself so that you're in the right head state to come to worship. And then when you leave, you're going to do that again to make sure that you're still thinking about that. Is that how God should work? That's not how he chose to work. God didn't choose to work through setting out some law for you all so that you would think about his forgiveness. He chose to send you a preacher. That's why God instituted the preaching office. Why you as a congregation have called many pastors. I'm just the latest. Remind you of God's rest. You need someone who will do that for you. You need someone who will sit down with you, listen to you, love you, Tell you, again, what it is that Jesus has done for you. Remind you of that rest and forgiveness that you have. So let me do that for you this morning. Don't worry about being good for God right now. Don't worry about what it is that God wants from you. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Rest. Think about what it is that Jesus has done for you, which is so beautifully pictured for us by Isaiah, by the psalm that we sung this morning. He has taken away your sins. He suffered in your place. And then he rose. And you know what he's doing as he's in heaven now? He's sitting, the text says. That's important. He's not standing up. He's sitting. He's not standing before the altar, offering another offering, which the priests had to offer over and over again, day after day after day. He's resting. It's done. You're forgiven. Rest. rest is yours. I know how unrestful your lives feel. I know how many things are pulling you in all kinds of different directions, are telling you that you don't have rest, that you can't have rest, that you won't be able to rest. It's not true. The Holy Spirit of God is at work through his word to bring you the peace, the comfort that Jesus offers you through his cross. Rest is yours, friends. Because God's got the rest. Keep on sharing those burdens with me. With one another. The Bible says that in sharing one another's burdens, we live out the love that Jesus has for each one of us. That's one of the reasons that this this local congregation, this place for believers to assemble exists. Right? Here we glimpse dimly, but surely, heaven. Here we rest in community, in fellowship with one another. The writer to the Hebrews, again, looking at our text, tells us, let's make every effort. Let us make every effort to enter this rest together. This is a joint effort. We walk hand in hand, resting all the way on our journey toward heaven. Let me lead you in prayer this morning. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, renew daily our appreciation for the rest we have through you. Keep the worries and distractions of this life from covering over that peace. Remind us of our need for only the rest that you give. May we give thanks always for the Sabbath rest in which we live by faith each and every day. Amen. I invite you to stand. We'll continue with the Apostles' Creed.